All right, we've taken up too much of Brian's time. Where is Brian? What are you doing hiding back there? You're speaking. You're supposed to be up front in the speaking spot. Come on up here, Brian. Listen, I'll tell you before Brian even gets started, I love this guy. We had coffee a few times, and I realized he, he has a heart for the Lord and a heart for people. And then after that, he couldn't stay away from us. <laughs> so he came and hung around, and now he's youth pastor, and, and uh, we're just thankful for him. We love you, man. All right. That's all I got. Test, test, one, two. Okay. Am I good, Gabe? Is this good? Okay. Wait a minute. Kids, Wait. get out of here. Yeah, kids. I forgot to dismiss the kids. Buddy's back there with pictures waiting to juggle. Go, kids. Hit the bricks. All right. So, first of all, I just want to apologize for something. I'm not prepared. Uh, my shoes. I mean, I'm clearly disqualified, you know, because my shoes are not cool like that. So, blessed are the feet of those who preach the gospel, you know. So, anyway. Yeah, Andrew. Andrew last week, he even had cool shoes. I could play checkers on his shoes. I mean, look at that. You know, but anyway, good morning. We are currently in a series, we are talking about kingdom, sonship, and grace. And I love this. I love talking about our three pillars that are three pillars of our church. Because what this is doing, this is taking Jesus and is giving us a clearer picture of who he is and what Jesus and what Jesus Jesus has done, you know. And how many of y'all know that whenever Jesus came here, he changed everything, right? Jesus changes everything. And first of all, through kingdom, we saw how Jesus changed our view of a king, right? So because whenever Jesus came, Jesus demonstrated a king who was not waiting to be served by servants, but a king who was willing to get down on his knees and serve people, right? Through John chapter 13, you know, whenever Jesus realized that everything had been given to him, what did he do? He got down and he served people. And I love the way how... John 13 says this in the Message Bible. It says, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things. It says that whenever Jesus knew that the Father had put him in complete charge of everything, that he had come from God and was on his way back to God. So he, so he got up from the supper table and set aside his robe and put on and put on a apron. And he poured out water into the basin and began to wash the feet of his disciples, drying his apron. And I love that. He took off a robe and put on a what? An apron. And he began to serve people. And this is what Jesus is demonstrating to us, that his heart in this kingdom is for people. And Jesus is leading, Jesus is leading the way by teaching, by teaching us how to serve people. So that is kingdom. Let me get some water here. All right, now through sonship. And by the way, I just want to thank Andrew for bringing, for bringing us a great message last week on Sonship. I want to give him a message. That was awesome. I love the way how he spoke from his heart and just told us his story. And I, you know, I love that. But through Sonship, Jesus changed the way how we see a father through Sonship. We talked about how Jesus changed, changed our view of a king. Now Jesus comes and he changes our view of a father. And how did Jesus do this? Well, Galatians 4.4, and uh, Andrew preached on on this last week. It says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. Okay? So whenever Jesus came, Jesus came to show us God's character. And that is something that the Old Testament law was never able to do. The Old Testament law and the, and the um, Old Covenant was never able to tell us what God looked like or who God was. 
Okay, the, the um, Old Testament law only testified of one thing, and that was how bad you were. Okay, Romans 4 says that the law testifies of sin. Okay, so, and I love the way how the Amplified Bible puts this in Hebrews 1.3. So listen closely, it says this, it says that the sun is the radiance and only expression of the glory of our, of our awesome God. Reflecting God's Shekinah glory. Now, whenever you say glory, you have to say glory. 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 Reflecting God's Shekinah glory. Light being the brilliant light of the, of the divine and the exact representation and the perfect imprint of the Father's essence. Think about that. The perfect imprint of the Father's essence. So that's why Jesus said, you know, throughout the Gospels, if you've seen me, you've seen who? You've seen the Father. Okay, so if you want to know God as Father, if you want to experience God as Father, get to know Jesus, okay, and that, that's sonship. Now, our last pillar is this. Our last pillar is grace, and through grace, we're going to see how, how Jesus changes us, okay, and this is a game changer. The thing is, I want to talk about this in the context of, spirit, of spiritual growth, because it seems like we have no problem identifying ourselves as a new creation whenever we first become a Christian, but after we get saved, we think that we're slowly becoming newer, we're slowly getting cleaner, we're slowly becoming something different, okay? The thing is, I want to talk about what grace looks like in the context of growth. But before I get there, I want to, I want to talk to you all about, some, about uh, my past. As many of you all know that I grew up in church. I grew up um, independent, fundamental Baptist. You know, I was in church three times a week. I grew up in Christian school. I grew up going to youth conferences, revivals. We had guest speakers. We had everything. And I grew up in that. And, and you know, I grew up hearing a lot of preaching growing up, a lot of preaching. And, I, and, you know, believe it or not, I've heard some really good sermons growing up. But with that comes a lot of really bad sermons. And a majority of, the, and a majority of those bad sermons came from Buddy and Ben, you know, just so you know. <laughs> I mean, they were terrible, man. They just, ugh. I'm happy to see that they have improved, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> so, anyway, I heard a lot of sermons growing up, and I feel like the um, undercurrent of a majority of those sermons was to try to get me to go out and do something big for God, you know what I'm saying? It was about, it was about me going out and doing something for God. So at the end of each, at the end of, uh, each, each service, we had an altar call, and you, could, and you could come down and rededicate your life to try to go out and do something big for God. And I remember after a youth conference, I decided to get real serious about this thing. You know what I'm saying? I was finally going to buck up. I was going to try hard. And I was going to show God that I was going to do it, you know? Because I'm, I'm tired of being on the fence. I'm tired of being a mediocre, weak Christian. And now I'm going to be a strong Christian. So I got up and I went out. I started serving in bus routes. I started serving in the PA ministry. I started going soul winning. I started wearing a shirt and tie. I even parted my hair. You see what I'm saying? I went through my um, iTunes. I deleted all my Kenny Chesney albums. Rascal Flats was out. Was out. You know, I only watched Disney movies. I mean, I was going to show God that I was serious about this thing. You know what I'm saying? And all that lasted for two weeks. <laughs> and then, you know, I was going to, after two weeks, another altar call. And I would run back down and show God, okay, God, this time I'm really serious. I promise you I'm going to change. I'm going to be different this time. 
And then two weeks would come again. And, you know, what I was doing, I was building a spiritual house of cards where I was closely trying to stack everything just right, and then I would get to the very top, and then boom, one card, one card would fall out, then the whole thing would become crashing down, okay? And, you know, from a really early age, you know, I was taught a formula and a technique for Christian growth because we used to sing a song in Sunday school called Read Your Bible, Pray Every Day, and you'll what? You, no, no, no. Grow, grow, grow. Thank you, William. Read your Bible. Thanks, Bill. You're the best. By the way, you look, you, you're doing a great um, impersonation of, uh, of uh, Steve Jobs today. <laughs> Looks great. So, sorry, I, I, got, I got the same mind as Justin. Squirrel. So, anyway, read your Bible, pray every day, and you'll grow, grow, grow. Okay, And that was a formula that was taught. If you're going to grow, if you're going to become better, if you're going to become a strong Christian, it starts with you. You see, it starts with you doing, it starts with you trying harder, with you bucking up, it starts with you. And it places you at the center, okay? And the thing is, I never felt close to God. Not one time. With me growing up in church, I never felt close to God because I could never do enough. You see, because my closeness with God was measured by how little I sinned and how much I did for God. And the problem with that is you always sinned, you always struggled, and you can never do enough. So therefore, God is always distant from you. You see what I'm saying? So anyway, I'm going to talk about Christian growth today. Is that really what God has put us on? Is that really the same path that that God has put us on when it comes to Christian growth? I mean, is that really what it is? So God, it's obvious that God has set us on a road to maturity. You know, there's plenty of verses that, there's plenty of verses out there that tells us that we're pressing on to maturity. But the problem is, what does that look like? So, the first thing I want to point out is this. God only uses one method for everything. One method. He is a one-trick pony. Okay? He uses one method. Turn in your Bibles to Colossians 2.6. If you have your Bible, and if you're there, say amen. Or you can swipe. Okay. You got five seconds. Okay, so it says this. I'm going to wait a little bit. It says this in Colossians 2.6. It says, As you have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. As you have therefore received Christ Jesus, so walk in him. So I have a pop quiz for you all today. How did you receive Christ Jesus? It was by two things. You should know. Huh? By grace through what? By grace through faith. By grace through faith. That is how you receive Christ Jesus. Okay? You receive Christ Jesus by saying, devil, you're out. Jesus, Jesus you're in. Right, Andrew? Yeah. But you got to say it three times because it takes three, three to thrive, right? <laughs> you got to say it three times. Devil, you're out. Jesus, you're in. No, but the thing is, we got saved by recognizing that we can't do it. It's not by human effort. It's not by us trying harder. We got saved because God was good, not because we became a better person. Okay? We got saved that way. But the thing is, we get that for salvation. We completely understand that for salvation. It's all by grace, you know? There's no way you can do it yourself. It's all by grace. You can't do it yourself. It's all of God. It's because God is so good, and we all completely understand that by grace. But it's like as soon as we get saved, and as soon as we start this on this road of spirit, spiritual maturity, it's almost, like God be, it's almost like God becomes a drill sergeant. You see what I'm saying? It's almost like on Forrest Gump, whenever the uh, drill sergeant say, Gump, what's your sole purpose in this army? 
And then Gump said, whatever, uh, to do whatever you tell me to, dr uh, drill sergeant. You know, it's all, and that was the way I saw Jesus. Jesus was going to whip me into shape. Okay, Jesus was my, dr was my, my, uh, my drill sergeant. And we even sung songs like, you know, um, I may never march in the uh, infantry, ride in the cavalry, shoot the artillery, because I'm in God's army, right? So the thing is, that is not God's way. God's way is by grace through faith. And the thing is, whenever we start on this second method of trying really hard, we are guilty of doing something of what Paul said in Galatians 1. We are turning to a different gospel. And this is the same trap, the same trap door that the Galatians were trapped in. So turn in your Bibles to Galatians 3. Galatians chapter 3, we're going to read verses 1 through 3. Stop laughing, Justin. <laughs> that water was good. That was a good drink. <laughs> All right, Galatians 3, verses 1 through 3. He says this. He says, O oh, you foolish and thoughtless and superficial Galatians, who has bewitched you that you would act, act like this? To whom right before your very eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified in the gospel message? This is all I want to ask of you. Did you receive the Holy Spirit as a result of obeying the, the requirements of the law, or was it by a result of hearing the message of salvation with faith and believing it? Are you so foolish and senseless, having begun your new life by faith with the Spirit, are you now going to be perfected in reaching spiritual maturity by the flesh? That is by your own works and your own efforts to keep the law. So what Paul, what Paul is saying here is this. He's saying, look, how did you receive the Spirit? Did you receive the Spirit by, A, working really hard by your own works and efforts, or, is it, or was it by, B, by hearing with faith? And he's saying, are you so foolish starting by option A, or I'm sorry, starting by option B, are you now going to, are you now going to continue with option A by your own works and efforts? And Paul is saying here, he's saying that, look, there's only one, F, there's only one way. You know, you can't, you, can't, you can't come into this thing through your own, by, by believing and continuing by your, by your own works and efforts. Okay, it doesn't work like that. And, you know, the, the uh, Old Testament is filled with example after, after example after example of people who tried that and failed. Okay, the, the law made, made no one righteous. Not one person was made righteous by the law. Every person who was made righteous was, was made righteous because they believed. It was all about faith. Okay? And the thing is, whenever we go from trusting to trying, we go from placing our confidence in the spirit to placing our confidence in the flesh. So turning your Bibles to Philippians 3, we're going to read verses 3 through 6. Philippians 3, 3 through 6. And Paul, talk, Paul talks about putting confidence in the flesh because the flesh is not just, you know, uh, fist fighting, dirty talk, and, you know, all these things. The flesh can look really good, okay? The flesh can, I mean, you have positive flesh and you have negative flesh. And what Paul, what Paul is dealing with here, whenever he talks about flesh in Galatians 3, he is talking about positive flesh. He's talking about flesh that looks really good and really religious. And Paul is going to, to talk, about, talk about this again in Philippians 3. He says this, he says, For we are the circumcision, who worship God in spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. 
For though also might have confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks that he might have confidence in the flesh, I more so. Circumcised on the, on the eighth day of the, stock of, of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, which is, which is a good tribe, because um, <laughs> my brother's name is Benjamin. So anyway, of the, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, concerning the law, a Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness which is in the law, I was blameless. So what Paul is saying here is this. He's saying that, you know, when it came to trying really hard and being a really good, a really good Christian or, you know, in context here, a really good Jew, when it came to putting in your best effort, he was the best. As Nacho, as Nacho Libre would say, he was the best. He was the best. You see what I'm saying? So he was, he was the Michael Jordan of Jews. But he said that he was blameless concerning the law. I want to disagree with that. He was not blameless. Because if you go back and read Romans 7, it says that he struggled with coveting. So even though he says that he was blameless, really he wasn't. He struggled with a secret sin. He struggled with coveting. You see? So even Paul... Paul, a Hebrew, a Hebrew of Hebrews, he was, not, he was not able to pull it off. Human effort did not work for him. You see what I'm saying? So Paul tells us that those things that... Hold on, I'm skipping ahead. Uh, continuing on in Philippians 3, I'm going to read verses 7 through 10. He says this, But what things were gained to me, these things I have counted lost for Christ. Yet indeed I count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. For whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish, that I might gain Christ, and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ Jesus, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I might know him, and the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death. So Paul, Paul tells us that those things that he gained by working really hard, to try to strive for and to gain in the flesh, he counts them as rubbish, okay? All of the fame and all of the, you know, good status that, that Paul had that, that he gained through the flesh, he said, I count it as rubbish, okay? That is a really soft way compared to what it says in the, in the Greek, which I'm not, I'm not going to go there, okay? So he says this. He's saying that, look, I tried to gain wisdom, I tried to gain uh, a sense of status. I tried to gain a lot of good things. All these things are good. He tried to gain strength through, through the flesh. But the problem isn't what you are pursuing, but it's your source. Okay? That's why, that's why uh, Paul also said in Corinthians, I can't remember which, uh, which passage it is, but he says that there's, there's, there's not many mighty after the flesh. There's not many noble. You know, because it's not about what you're trying to get. It's all about your source. So, hold on. the things we gain through striving in the flesh will always lead us to death because it places us as the source instead of Christ. Romans 8, 6 says this. It says, for the mind that is set on the flesh is death, but the mind set on the spirit is life and peace. The mind set on the flesh is death. The mindset on the spirit is going to result in life and peace. And I, I really do think that those who are trapped in religion, as we would say, are really trying to pursue life and peace. They are trying to work and strive and try to gain life and peace by their own efforts. But like I said, whenever your closeness with God is measured by how little you sin and how much you do, you're never going to, you're never going to experience life and peace. 
you, you're never going to get there because you could always do more. You could always be cleaner. You know, you could always do more. But the thing is, you're never going to get there. So the goal is not learning how to. The goal is not learning how to perform better. The goal is not to work harder. The goal is not even Christian growth. The goal is to know Christ. Because knowing Christ is the only thing that is going to lead us to life and peace. But this is the beautiful thing about Jesus. Jesus leads us by what he supplies, not by what he demands. Jesus leads by what he supplies, not by what he demands. Okay? And this is going back to the whole thing with grace and faith. Grace is this. Grace is God's empowering presence. Okay? Faith is your receptivity to God's power and presence. Okay? So if God's going to lead you to love, okay, how is he going to do it? Is he going to, is he going to tell you to go out and try really hard to go out and try to love people? Or is it, or is it going to come down to you receiving? Because like I said, faith is your receptivity to God's activity. What God gives to you will come through you. As Justin says, it's um, R&R. R&D, I'm sorry, not R&R, rest and relaxation. <laughs> sorry about that. So grace and faith. Grace is God's activity. Faith is your receptivity to, to his activity. And this is the first thing we did whenever we showed up on, on planet Earth. Okay, whenever you were born, maybe, you, maybe the doctor needed you to cry so that you could breathe. So what did they do? They smacked the baby. And you were brand spanking new. So touch your neighbor and say, smack that baby. <laughs> Spank that baby. So it, the, the thing is, this is a law at work. This is a law at work. You cannot change this. You can only give out to the degree that you have first taken in. Okay, so if you're going to breathe out, you know, a baby, a baby never comes out first breathing out. He has to breathe in first. You see what I'm saying? So whenever the doctor holds up a baby and smacks him, he then... He takes in air, okay, and then and only then can he finally give out. So, and another um, example is this, you know, whenever you plant a seed, okay, what does a seed have to do? It ha what's that? A seed has to first receive, okay. If you want a seed to grow, you have to water it. It has to receive nutrients, and then and only then will it finally sprout and take root and start to grow because a law is at work. A seed can only grow whenever it first takes in, okay? And it's the same thing with us, with the fruit of the Spirit. Whenever you read the fruit of the Spirit, it's not God challenging you to go out and try to produce these things. You are not fruit, you are not fruit producers. You are fruit bearers. There's a big difference there, okay? Because if you're going to bear fruit, it means you carry fruit. You have it in you. It just needs to come out. You see what I'm saying? And I like the whole picture of, uh, what's that Instagram site? It shows a picture of a bear and a pineapple. <laughs> bear fruit. That's a side. Never mind. Forget that. So if God's, going to, if God's going to want gentleness to come out in your life, how is God going to be towards you? He's going to be gentle. If God's going to want patience to come out in your life, how is God going to be towards you? He's going to be patient. If God's going to want you to forgive people, what do you have to first receive? You have to receive forgiveness. Okay? Because there's a law at work. You can only give out to the, to the degree that you have first taken in. Okay? Let me go back to my notes here. If you want to live by faith, then your job is one thing. Your, your responsibility is to receive from God, 
And that is why we can trust his grace. Because, like I said, whenever you receive from grace, you're, you are receiving good things. Sin is not, is not supplied in grace. You get it? Greed is not, is not supplied in grace. Only God's nature is supplied in grace. Okay? That's why people are so freaked out about grace. Because they think that grace is going to supply you with greed and sin and all, these, all, and all of these bad things are, that are going to cause you to go out and live in chaos. But the thing is, grace only supplies one thing. It, su- it supplies God's life. And that's why Christ is your life. And he lives his life through you. So, um, faith doesn't make God's grace happen. Faith only allows you to experience the life and peace of God's life. Faith doesn't make you more forgiven. Great. Faith doesn't make you more holy. Faith doesn't make you more righteous. It only, it only allows you to experience the, the life and peace of those things. So going to Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 12. This is a pretty well-known passage. Titus, Titus 2, 11 through 12. says this, it says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires, to live soberly, righteously, and godly in this, in this present age. And the word I want to point out here is the word instructing. Because, hold on, sorry. The word instructing is a big part in this. Because grace doesn't leave you without instructions. See what I'm saying? Instructions are good. good. Good advice is good. But the problem is good advice is not good news. But there is still good, good, good advice that comes after good news that is there to help us. Okay? So the word for instructing here is the Greek word, and I'm going to jack this up. I'm sorry. The Greek word for this is pahidayu. Sounds Japanese. I know. I'm sorry. So the, the Greek word there is pahidai, the word for instructing. And this is the same exact Greek word that is used in Hebrews 12 whenever it talks about God disciplining us or God chastening us. It's the same exact Greek word. So if God's going to chasten you, if God's going to instruct you, he's only going to do it with what? He's going to do it with grace. He's going to instruct you into his grace. He's going to teach you with his grace. That's why chastening is not God punishing you. It's not, it's not God reacting to your past. God instructing you is preparation for your future. It's never God responding to something that you did wrong to try to help you not to do it again, but it's God training you before you even do it. You see what I'm saying? So God is teaching us through his grace. He's teaching us to receive and trust. Okay? And, you know, with, with spiritual maturity, and I taught this in youth one time, I don't, know, I don't know if y'all seen the uh, Spider-Man movie with Tobey Maguire. You know, whenever he first gets bit by the spider, you know, he starts to feel funny. And, he, you know, he goes, he goes to his room and he faints and he wakes up and he's just like buff. He looks in the mirror and he's like, oh, man. You know? So then, you know, then he grabs something and the thing sticks to his hand and it doesn't fall down, you know? And then the next thing you know, he's climbing buildings. And then he's jumping from building to building. And then he does something, and a giant white thing shoots out, shoots out, uh, out of his hand. And then he goes back to it, and he's trying to make it happen again. He's like this, and he's like, go, Web, go. And then he's like, uh, I don't know what I'm doing. And then all of a sudden, he finally figures it out, and it shoots out. But the thing is, whenever Peter Parker got bit by the spider, that was when he became Spider-Man. 
Okay? He, didn't, he didn't become Spider-Man by slowly growing into his powers. He was already Spider-Man. His DNA was a spider. Okay? And it's the same thing with us. Whenever we first place our faith in Christ, everything after that changes. We are changed forever. Forever. Our DNA is Christ. Christ moves within us. We become perfectly holy, perfectly righteous, and we are A-OK, which a fancy way for saying this is, there ain't nothing wrong with you. Are you willing to say that about yourself? There's nothing wrong with you. That's how God sees you. There is not a single thing wrong with you. And that just causes, that just causes you to just go, I'm OK. I'm OK. I'm A-OK. I know, it's, I know it's Monday morning, and I know work is stressing me out, but I'm OK. So I'm going to live from the place of okayness with God. So we don't, we don't grow. We don't become more holy. We just depend on another source to supply holiness for us. We don't become more righteousness. We're just trying to figure out just how righteous we are and living out of that and going out and loving other people. Um, I didn't want to go there. This is not in my notes, but I'm going to go there. Turn to Titus chapter 3. Titus chapter 3. It should be just a page over, but I need to find it in my Bible. Let's see here. Titus chapter 3. I'm going to read verses 3 through 8. And this is coming off of what, of what Paul was talking about when he talks about the grace instruct, instructing us. He says this in the following chapter. He says, For we ourselves were also once foolish, disobedient, deceived, um, serving various lusts and pleasures, living malice and envy and hateful and hating, being, and hating and being hateful towards one another. And this is what I was talking about whenever I, I was talking about negative flesh. This is uh, Paul describing negative flesh here. But he says this, he goes on, he says, But when the kindness and the love of our God and Savior towards man appeared, not by our works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us, through the washing and the regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior. He didn't pour out his Holy Spirit through, through, our, good, through our good works and effort. He poured it out through one thing and one person, Jesus Christ. He is the reason, okay? And having been justified by his grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of the eternal life, okay? And it would be nice if he just stopped there and told you to go home, but he doesn't. He, follow, he follows grace up with this. He says, this is a faithful saying, and these things I want, to, I want, to, I want you to affirm constantly, that those things which we have believed in God should be careful to, to maintain good works these things are good and profitable towards men. So, grace doesn't eliminate good works. Grace just angles them towards people in need. You see what I'm saying? This is a message that Martin Luther preached, you know, 500 years ago. He's, he talks about the difference between passive righteousness and active righteousness. So, God doesn't need our good, our good deeds, but our neighbor does. So grace doesn't, doesn't eliminate good works. It just horizontalizes them towards people in need. You see what I'm saying? And Martin Luther figured, figured that out 500 years ago. But here we are. We, we, we get it. You know, we can't figure it out. <laughs> but, you know, we, but we are slowly coming into this. And I'm glad that we have a church that is finally coming in and slowly figuring this thing out. And I'm the least of all y'all. I'm terrible. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm, I'm, I'm just kidding. 
Justin is the worst. He's the worst. I just, I just, I didn't want to sound real, you know what I'm saying? But anyway. Anyway, going back, what we saw today was this. We saw that God uses one method for our growth, and it's the same method for our salvation. We saw that placing confidence in the flesh to earn things leads to a life of death. Okay? And lastly, we saw that, we saw that what, Jesus, what Jesus supplies to you will come through you. Because our relationship with God is not based on how little we sin. Our relationship with God is based on how much we let him love us. Our relationship is not based on how little we sin. It's based on us receiving his goodness and his love for us and transmitting that towards other people. So lastly, I have a video I'm going to show you all. I got 10 minutes to spare. Yes. So I have a video I'm going to show you. I'm sorry, Mike, for not downloading that. But if you can pull that up, that would be great. And after the video, I don't mind if we want to have like a, 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 a Q&A, just kind of discuss. But anyway. Okay, so I want to grow, I want to mature, what do I do? You have to receive. God is training you, he is trying to teach you that it's fully okay to, to receive and be yourself. Because God is not limited by your person, by your strengths, by your lack of strengths, he's not limited by those things to express his life through you. He is telling you it's perfectly a-okay to be yourself and to be in step with him and he's going to express his life through you. It's almost like dancing. You know, with me, whenever I was trying to grow, what I was doing, you know, I was looking at my feet. I was trying to make sure I was doing it. I was trying to do everything right. I was trying to impress God by my own ability, by, by my own ability to dance. But what God is saying is this. He's saying, look, stop looking at your feet. Just look up at me and follow, follow my lead, okay? I am not in a hurry to figure this thing out. I'm not in a hurry for you. I'm perfectly patient, Okay, I'm not, I'm not freaked out by your, by your spiritual growth. Okay, I'm not stressed out about that. Just you keep on looking up here at me. Read your Bible and get to know me. Pray and get to know me. Love other people, okay, and it will figure itself out. So anyway, is there anything that anyone wants to add? Anything that someone wants to talk about or a question? Some type of a, of a disagreement? <laughs> Those are not welcome here, I'm sorry. So, what's that? Yeah, just uh, raise your hand if you have something that you want to say, add. Doug. Yes, sir. Hold on, here comes Andrew. Thank you, Andrew. Uh, I enjoyed what you said there in Galatians 3, but I don't think you went quite far enough. Oh, no. Uh-huh. If you'd gone on down to verse 6 where it says, just as Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness, know then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. Mm -hmm. Now, Sam Nord would bring his rulers up here to explain chronologically that Abraham was about 800 years before Moses came along with the law. Mm -hmm. He did it without the Torah. Yeah. So that, exactly. that's how we're drawn to that. Right. And the thing is, I, lo I love that because it's pointing this out. It's pointing that the, this message of grace, this message of the gospel, is not new. Okay, it's 400 years older than what the law was. I'm sorry, 800. I forget what you said. I think it was 400. It's 400. You're wrong. I'm just kidding. <laughs> but the thing is, this is not a new message. I mean, like, like I said, Martin Luther was teaching this. 
You know, he even had a revelation of this. This is not a new message. This is, this is so old, it's older than the law. So when someone wants to tell you that this is just a feel-good message, something new and trendy, it's not. Don't worry. So there you go. It's older, it's older than Abraham. But the thing is, and also this too, this just points back to what God desired in the first place in the garden. God desired community. He, he, he desired relationship with us. And through the gospel, this was his ultimate goal. He wanted to be one spirit with us. He, I mean, do you realize that God is closer to us than, than even he was with Adam and Eve? He dwells in us. We are one spirit. It's like sweet tea. You don't just add sugar and unsweet tea and expect it to be sweet. Okay, you have to heat it up and it melts into it and it's fused together. And you cannot separate that. We are sweet tea with Jesus. <laughs> so anyway, speaking of sweet tea, it's almost lunchtime. It's 12 o'clock, so if no one has anything else to add, I'm going to pray. And bless the food that we're about to eat whenever you go to Fuzakli's or wherever you're going to go. But anyway, I'm going to pray. Uh, dear Father, I'm so grateful for our fused union with you. I thank you that it is a-okay to be ourselves and simply receive love from you. I'm thankful that you are not stressed out about where we are spiritually with you. I'm thankful that you got this. You know, you, you said in um, Colossians that, you know, he who began a good work in you will carry it on to, to completion. And, Father, it, this is your responsibility. We need to make, we need to make our growth and everything that is, that is wrong with us, we need to make these things your problem. And Father, I just pray that you please build faith and trust in us as we go throughout a week and love other people. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. amen. amen.